one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and by David Priest, goalkeeping coach and columnist. Champions of the world, that sounds great, doesn't it? Champions of Europe, arguably that sounds better. But champions of England, for Liverpool, that will probably sound the best of all. Now, John, you're just back from Doha. Mm. They look unstoppable, don't they? They do, and what really strike, strikes me over the last, I don't know, few weeks, I actually think they've got another gear to go to. That's the most frightening thing of all. I love the way that in the final they really took it seriously because let's be honest here, the Club World Cup isn't something that uh, as as an English group group of teams um, has, has ever really particularly been embraced. I do think the South Americans view it perhaps more seriously, and I think that's been, you know caused its own issues really for Liverpool to have won the European Cup six times, have been perhaps even more dominant in the past than they are right now in terms of domestic football, not to have won this trophy seems remarkable, really. And I love the fact then that it gives Jurgen Klopp something to say this is the first time we've done it, that this generation have done it, and it's something different. And I just think they go from strength to strength. They're getting goals later on in games, 99th minute, on Saturday night and the semi-final against Monterey, that they, they won that in in injury time. I think it's just a fantastic tribute to their their spirit, that that dressing room never say die attitude. I love the fact that now kind of winning trophies has become a habit. It's their third trophy, third piece of silverware in 2019 after the Champions League, then the Super Cup, and now this, which is their crown and glory. I think they're so far ahead. I think in the Premier League title race that I feel sure that they'll go on and clinch the title, which I think will be a wonderful achievement, you know, 30 years on. Uh, It's just looking so positive and so strong for Klopp's men. And as I say, I just think there's even more to come. Mm. I think it's almost finding that right balance in midfield because I think now they've got the best two set of, the best set of fullbacks in the league. I think they've got the best goalkeeper right now in the league. I think Joe Gomez, fabulous player, and when he's, on form and fully fit. He's the best partner, I think, for Van Dijk. And I think they're, they're absolutely fantastic together. Front three, fabulous. I just think when it all comes together, I think for Liverpool, they will be absolutely unstoppable and the best um, team in 2019, um, the, the way that they finished. And I think they'll go on to be champions of 2020. Yeah. One player not mentioned there, Dave, was Jordan Henderson. Now, for me, if I'm picking Footballer of the Year today, mm-hmm. I know this is quite a big shout, but I'd have him as my footballer of the year simply because of his influence as a leader. You know, it's the old John Terry thing, isn't it? Leader, legend, captain, all that. 
give me an, uh, your appreciation of Jordan Henderson because I don't think he's. I think he's underappreciated. Yeah, I think so, and I think that it, it, a lot of that lies in the fact that people tend to go on about you know what he doesn't do in a team rather than what he's actually good at. You know, okay, he, he's tempered his game a little bit from when he was young. He doesn't get forward as much. He's, he's, he doesn't play a lot of forward passes. But you've seen in the uh, in the final of the night that you know he has got that pass in him. Mm. But what he does do, he, he does the job required of him that Klopp asks of him, and he does it brilliantly. And I think if, if you're talking about play of the year, it, over the course of the, this 12 months, he's been exactly that because he's been integral to what they've they've done, the success they've had, and and not just on the pitch. He, he's growing into a, a, a real leader on and off it, and I think it's um, yeah, it's not bad for a lad from Sunderland, is it? <laughs> You were being, you know, just back from Doha, mm. as I said. Give me your impressions, John, of, of Qatar itself and its readiness for the, the World Cup. Because if you look at... That was one of the great auditions for them, wasn't it? Yeah. Really? A, big, a big event. And also, what does it say about Liverpool as a club, almost like a, they're building a super club here, aren't they? Yeah. You've got Salah, who is huge in that region. Give me a flavour of how global that experience was. Yeah, it... It was it was a different experience, a, 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 a unique experience, I think, to watch football. And I think it's the third time I've been there, and it changes dramatically each time. From 2009 to watch England in a friendly against Brazil, and then you know, what five years ago, now it's it's different again. And by 2022, there's no doubt in my mind that it will be incredibly different again. I think by then all the stadium will be ready. I have absolutely no doubt about that. The whole place. I mean, just to give a bit of context, Qatar is about the size of Yorkshire and it's a small place and it's it's really quite accessible from one one stadium to another. There's no doubt about it. Fans, if they want, will be able to watch more than one game in a day. I know a few journalists that do that, but the fans will be able to do that now as well. And I I do have concerns about, about the atmosphere and how it will be for fans. That's my biggest single thing about whether it's accessible, whether it's affordable whether it's it's really practical for fans. I mean, we, I think as journalists, we always tend to look at it from a media perspective, how it will be to cover. I think the reality is, I think it's, that that, that would be my biggest concern because the Club World Cup as such, and as a sort of an individual boxed off event, I think was successful. I think it ran smoothly, it ran well. I think the one thing I would draw to was it was a little bit tepid in terms of the atmosphere. The, the atmosphere in the final was better. That was largely down to the Flamengo fans, you know, 15,000 of them, would you believe? I mean, they, they, they departed there en masse. I think Liverpool, Liverpool fans only got about 900 tickets from the club. But, so I think you actually had limited numbers travelling from Europe, whereas I think you actually had a huge number of local fans supporting Mo Salah. It was Mo Salah first... Liverpool second, they love Liverpool because Mo Salah plays for them. Mm. They love Mo Salah rather than Liverpool. That's that's the truth. That's the reality of it. And it, it, it's different. It's about, it, you can pay up to about 15 quid a pint. So get ready for that. The, the, you will not have the traditional gathering of town squares and to, to points of sort of, you know, that common point, which a lot of people immediately say, oh, that's a good thing because you won't get trouble. Well, actually, the Flamengo fans were brilliant and they were singing their hearts out and you could see that bar staff, that, you know, in one place on Friday night, 
with some UEFA, uh, sorry, with um, uh, FIFA officials, and you could see that the hotel staff and the security staff were getting really anxious about a group of Flamengo fans who were brilliantly behaved, singing their hearts out for their team. They were providing great entertainment. They were getting anxious. Similar experience also on the Metro, getting to get getting to the game on Saturday, and that 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 sort of thing worries me. And they, they did have a fan zone that was out of town at a golf club and sort of quite remote. It's going to be so different, and I think. We can talk all day about a well-organised event, a well-run and well-structured World Cup, but I just worry about the, my biggest thing is the fan thing. By the way, the temperatures were very, very mild. We've made an awful lot about the air conditioning in the stadium. won't be an issue. I mean, it was, it was unseasonably milder than usual, so about 17, 18 during the day, and it's you know risen a, a little bit this week, but I really don't think that will be an issue, so, so that's quite a good thing, but it's just that fan experience, that worries me. Yeah, but it's where Liverpool can say they were crown world champions, Dave. Let's look at nearer home, over the holiday period, Leicester. Obviously, you know, they're, they're stuttering a little bit. What sort of tests will they provide Liverpool? Well, I think it's uh, as much as it's about Leicester, it's about Liverpool as well because it's going to be a big test for them. You know, they've been away, they've experienced something different, they've had a lot of travelling. Okay, they're not going to be travelling in economy class, but it's it's still that that travelling takes it out of you as well. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how they react after that. But with Leicester, they've got to find a response now. You know, Manchester City were were very good against them. Take nothing away from Man City. But Leicester, really, if they want to stay in this and, and prove they can push Liverpool as, as, as much as anyone can, then they really need to get, to get a result against Liverpool. And I think that um, for both sides, it's, it, it's, it's not make a break for Leicester, but they, they don't want to fall away and then get dragged into a, a battle where they've got to fight to stay in the, the Champions League spaces. So I think that uh, from that point of view, it's important that they, they don't, uh, don't lose the game. When you look at Vardy, you know, Brendan Rodgers has been talking about the need to probably rest him over the holiday period at some stage. And, and, and Brendan was very critical of the workload put on players at this time of year. Mm. Do you understand what he was saying? Yeah, I do really. I, we, we've got to find this right balance, haven't we? Because I think the t tradition of English football is always to play games and they're incredibly exciting. We want to watch it. We want to go to games. We want to watch them on TV and the coverage is outstanding. So we have to balance that. I do feel, though, within that, I, I hear sort of, you know, I mean, you, you read stories of a sort of kind of Pep Guardiola writing to the Premier League to sort of kind of, you know, protest about two games in what, in the space of 48 hours. And I think that that... that Surely there must be a way around that, and there I think are four if you or five clubs at, in the same boat. Absolutely, oh, absolutely, and so it's not just exclusively to, to to one club, but surely with with this, you've got to have some sort of sympathy. There's got to be some way around it. I was alarmed to see. I don't know whether you saw the story, but you know, on Friday about how the FA Cup fourth round replays could eat into some clubs winter breaks mm. you know so here we have the wonderful new sort of you know adventure of a winter break but actually all of a sudden we're talking about FA Cup replays potentially being in them and actually I think for a lot of clubs they will see the winter break as some sort of you know opportunity just to have a bit of a rest after this incredibly gruelling Christmas period all of a sudden if that's taken away that's such a such a you know blow I think for English football and I do think there must be a balance in that because, it, without doubt, it reduces the quality, I think, of the spectacle 
you will see players pull up with injuries. You will see, for example, I think Liverpool face their biggest test now because, you know, quick games in quick succession. As David rightly says, you're suddenly travelling back from, from, you know, from a, a, a Doha, from a gruelling tournament, a testing tournament. You, you've got these games scrunched up. They've probably got a bit of a nightmare FA Cup draw in that basically they probably might have rested some kids, uh, sort of rested some senior players and brought in some kids, but now they've got Everton. Can they really do that? Arguably not. So it, it's a, it, all of a sudden you kind of plan this balancing act and, you know, it, it includes Leicester as well now because they're desperate, desperate, aren't they, to try and cling on to the tight race. And I, I, my sympathies are, with, are there because they're brilliant to watch Leicester and if you would, you know, if you suddenly make them less attractive or push them or punish them a little bit, then I think that's bad news for the Premier League. Good games around this time of year or of year or not. Mm. The, the, there is one answer there to the likes of Manchester City and, and Liverpool about the, the 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 workload that the players have got. Lose games. It should become a Burnley or a Bournemouth where they just have to concentrate on the league games. I mean, that's the only other option. And they're not going to do that. But I do think that's. Getting knocked out of the League Cup, I don't think it would trouble Jurgen Klopp too much. He does have to worry about that now. Mm. It's something that's, yeah, it's it's some two or three games less to play. Yeah, and I suppose it's all about squad depth as well, isn't it, in terms of dealing with injuries. Yeah. When you look at Manchester City, do you think they'll be active in January? Because it seems that you know, they're obviously vulnerable to the counter. Mm. You know, you look at that defence and it's, it's not good enough at the, at the very highest level. What do you expect them to do? Well, Pep's already said that you know he doesn't foresee him doing much in the in the transfer window. I'm not sure how whether that's a possibility for him or not because, like you said, they they are frail at the back at the moment. And I actually think that putting Fernandinho back in there it takes far too much away from the side. You know, if if he puts two uh, centre halves there, whether it be Otamendi or John Stones. It's far better they have two defenders in there with the protection of Fernandinho in front of them. I think that gives them much, much more. But again, he's probably thinking that uh, Rodri's done very well in, in the games he's played. So he probably needs to, to find a place for him. So it's more, probably more about accommodating Rodri than it is putting Fernandinho at the back. But <sighs> they've got Laporte to come back. And of course, I don't know if far, far off he, he's back from injury. He'd be a massive plus for them if he comes back. But... Mm. He probably doesn't want to be weighed under with centre half, so if he brings another one in because he'll have a lot of options there once they're all fit. Yeah. This January window for me is massive for, for, for Man City because I love Pep Guardiola and I think that he's taken English football, Man City in turn, to a whole new le level. And I, I just think this could be really pivotal and I think it could give us an insight into where we're going with Man City and Guardiola. I'm desperate for Guardiola to stay. He's reiterated that he will and I sincerely hope that he does. I just feel that... I knew a butt was coming, by the way. Well, I just think that I'm beginning to wonder, I'm beginning to, you know, doubt whether Guardiola is going to be here for the long term. And that, I think, I'd be so disappointed to see him go. And I just think if they make a statement in January, and it might be that they wait until the summer to make that statement, that's fine, and back Guardiola. But if they make a statement in January with, with, with a big sign, no, listen, no big club wants to do business in January. I totally get that. You really don't, because that shows in a way that, that you know, Liverpool's signing, basically, of, of, you know, the Japanese winger, for example, is maybe an exception to the rule. But you don't want to be doing big business, otherwise that shows that you haven't got all your ducks in a row for the whole season. But I just also think that, that, that basically if they did make a big statement signing in January, I think that would make it clear to everyone that Pep Guardiola is staying. Mm. And that would be a wonderful statement because Guardiola, for me, has been 
wonderful for English football. I think he's been amazing for Man City. No wonder the fans love him. And I really sincerely hope that he stays and Man City go again and they back Guardiola again because I just think he's that important. He's been that influential for the Premier League. I do wonder, though, that he did, does seem unhappy. He does seem restless. He's just lost Arteta to, to Arsenal. What does that say? You know, he basically he so clearly needed another centre-half last summer, but they didn't get one. What is that saying? I just think that all these imponderables make me think, what's quite going on at City? I'm so shocked to see them so far behind Liverpool. It's 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 a it feels like a point in time and I'm desperate for City to try and keep Guardiola and keep him happy. It's also about options as well. If uh, Who can they bring in? And they've already stated in the past when, with Harry Maguire that they weren't prepared to go to the £67 million mark for a central defender. But if they're going to get somebody who's the class that they need, some like Koulibaly or something like that, mm. that's what they're going to have to pay for them. Yeah. What does it state? You know, you, you've been part or still are part of a coaching team at a, at a club. When you have an integral part of that team leave you to go and join another job as uh, Mikel Arteta has done at Arsenal, how does that interfere with the dynamics of that coaching team? It affects it a lot, really, because we went through it ourselves. We, uh, we lost assistant manager this summer who went on to, to another club in Sweden, Bromba Poikana. It does because you, when you're bringing somebody else in, you have to make sure it's the right appointment that they have the, the same mind and the same philosophy. Of course, Pep will do that you, unless he promotes from within. It take, it, you know, it's almost... If they've got a lot of influence on the pitch, like Mikel Arteta has and has had in the past, then the players need to get used to that. So it's almost like... It's not the same as a manager, but almost, it's very similar from a new manager coming in because they have to find that relationship again, trust in his methods. He's not going to do, whoever he brings in is not going to do the same things that Mikel Arteta has done. And there's bound to be little tweaks that perhaps some of the players don't take to as well. So it, it could be a difficult time for him. And I know that Pep's got a, a huge influence over the, the squad and he has a final word and final say and everything, but... If he does bring somebody from the outside, then it, there could be a little bit of a disruption there as well, which they don't need at this time being yeah. so far away. Yeah. You know, we've had two new appointments at Everton and Arsenal. They've served up one of the great stinkers of all time on, on Saturday. <laughs> the draw. Let's look at Arsenal first. Club you know well, John. Arteta, should they have chosen him in 2018? And what impact do you think he'll have? Well, yes, I do think they should have chosen him in 2018. And actually, funnily enough, I thought, I thought at the time then, I think that rather like it was now, that Brendan Rodgers would have been a great choice in 2018 and he would have been gettable then. Mm. And I think then that, 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 that clearly they didn't want to kind of go down that route because they were slightly worried about the kind of fan perception of then time and sort of, you know, was he damaged by what happened at, at Liverpool and, you know, was Celtic enough as a test? Well, history tells us probably not, but... Then, then they didn't push that one too hard. They looked at him and then I thought, really, they were going to go down the, the, the Arteta route. And the former chief executive, Ivan Gazidis, absolutely really pushed Arteta hard and fancied him, knew about him, knew what an outstanding coach and reputation he could bring. He was interviewed first, by the way, in that process and interviewed brilliantly, absolutely outstandingly. And it's like rather like a journalist, you know, filing a story early on, you know that the desk might get a bit bored with it later in the day and so all that doesn't. And it felt as time went by and it was about four or five, six weeks, they, they it went from being it's Arteta, our man, to right at the death, I think some of the older members of the board 
began to panic. Does he bring enough experience? Does he, you know, what can he bring? Is this a worry? And right at the death, they went for, for Unai Emery, which wasn't as big a disaster as some people paint because one more win or he wins the Europa final, then they're in the Champions League. And we wouldn't be having this conversation. Unai Emery would still be Arsenal manager. So that's what you're judged against. And I just think that Arteta's gone through that. 18 months later, he's got more experience. 18 months later, he's still as bright and as driven as, as ever he was. Pochettino wanted him before he went to, to Man City as his, you know, one of his, his assistants. Guardiola rates him above everyone else, I think, really, at Manchester City. Thinks he's an outstanding progressive coach. He has taken sessions. He has prepared teams. He works brilliantly, I think, on an individual basis with players. Honestly, he, he speaks so well and that's a massive thing, I think, to get his message across to the fans, to re-establish connection lost under Unai Emery. This is, I think, you had to do something different. I don't think every appointment... You couldn't have done Allegri. doesn't speak good enough English. We've had that with Emery. I think Ancelotti wouldn't have quite fitted Arsenal for where they are now. Arteta goes in with a chance to develop and improve young players, to develop and bring back a squad mentality, the way that they set up and the whole philosophy of the team. You had to do something different. This is bold, it's brave. Yes, it's a gamble, but I think it's the right appointment. It's definitely a safer option to go for Emery. Like you just said there with the board, they, they perhaps thought it was too much of a gamble. So they brought in somebody who's with a bit of a track record of, of winning trophies. That's fine. The only uh, downside I can see of Arteta coming now rather than 18 months ago is that it feels like it's a more damaged squad now. Mm. So you start Divided dressing room, isn't and it? And you're starting from sort of a lower level with regards to being able to spring forward and, and, and get things right. Apart from that, I think it's the perfect appointment because he's... 18 months on, more experience. And he does, he just, you know, people can, can look about saying, oh, well, Freddie Youngberg's the next player and Arteta's the next player and, you know, they're similar in that respect. But Arteta just looks like a totally different character and he's got a real steely mentality. And the fact you sit there and watch, watch the, on the sidelines, see Pep talking to him constantly, thinking, looking for what he's thinking about the game and asking his advice and that. And it's, it says a lot for, for somebody still so young. Mm. Do you think he has the the metal to be as brutal as he probably needs to be? Because you know, there's a lot of talk about you know, risks within the squad. You're talking about you know, Jack is probably going to end up going to Berlin in January. Aubameyang, who's had a brilliant season, is now thinking, well, what's in it for me here anymore? You've got the kids coming through who have sometimes been criticised or isolated by the senior players. That's a heck of a long list to get through, isn't it? It is. And you know, I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about John Henderson, the type of players that are in that Liverpool side and type of characters that have been recruited. And then you look at the Arsenal side, you know, the, the, the finger pointing that goes on after uh, during games and it's it's in total contrast to each other. With Arteta, I just think it's, uh, you know, he does have that mentality. You know, I played against him when he was uh, at Rangers, when he was sort of 19 and really slight, very, very good football and very quiet. Bumped into a couple of times at airports and he was he was really quiet. And obviously, he's a man now, you know, and you, you talk to people who play with him at Everton. He was always forthright in, in the way that he spoke, always speaking in the dressing room, giving people advice, trying to work things out at half-time. And, and then, obviously, when he's at Arsenal, then that's been progressed even further. And it becomes a great, a great character and a real somebody who everyone thinks, well, he's going to be a great coach in the future. Mm. You mentioned Ancelotti not quite fit in Arsenal. Mm. Does he actually fit Everton? 
Well, I, I can see both sides, really, in that, in that I say that he doesn't really fit Arsenal. I think he's an outstanding coach. And then basically, I do think that you've got dressing room problems at Arsenal and you kind of probably need to knit that together. And actually, from that perspective, I think Ancelotti, Ancelotti's best quality is that working with players, is that incredible... He's somehow been a diplomat of a manager down the years yeah. and worked with some of the biggest names, the biggest egos and got, in, you know, and, got, and, and healed the biggest rifts, basically, whether that's at, you know, AC Milan, whether it's at Chelsea, whether it's Real Madrid. He's got, incre- he's got incredible CV. And so to suggest then that he's suddenly going to a, a sort of, shall we say, a flailing club and that that might not be a fit is, is probably harsh, both for Arsenal and for Everton. But for me, for Everton is that Arsenal have at least been in the top four recently and been sort of trophy winners. And that's where I think that that at least, you, you know, you could maybe see Ancelotti there a little bit more easier than, than, than Everton, where I do think to a degree it's more of a rebuilding job. And I wonder whether he's got the players at his disposal to make that immediate impact by, by you know, the, the wonderful guy that he is, he's a, clearly a very good coach as well as being that that kind of, you know, healing dressing room risk. But has he got that that, that, that sort of talent at his disposal has to make? The, has he got the hunger anymore? That's the well, thing. we'll soon see, won't we? But it was interesting to hear him talk about how he wanted to get Everton back in the you know towards challenging for the top four, it, towards the top four, winning trophies again. That's one hell of an ask because they've been through a lot of managers, I think, to try and get there. They've been through an awful lot of players spending huge amounts of money to try and get back there, and no one's quite kind of cracked it yet. The, the club is on the, the, the sort of almost the precipice of something incredibly exciting with the new stadium, the new plans, and now a, a really stellar name manager, superstar manager. And I think there's immense pressure on Ancelotti to, to do something different and turn it around. And I just worry about whether the squad, you know, is there to do it. Because we talk about, oh, well, Mashiri can go out and spend more money. But you've still got a lot of players there in the squad. And big names, probably big salaries, big contracts. Who wouldn't, if you carry on spending like this, it won't be in the Premier League squad. I mean, the the club needs an overhaul and is Ancelotti that that man to do it completely from top to bottom? Yeah, because recruitment's been poor. I think that's by common consent. And also there's a huge emotional U-turn going on here, isn't there? You've got that intensity of, of Duncan Ferguson, you know, we all knew it was going to be pretty short term, but he seems to have galvanised people, you know, both on the pitch and off the pitch. You're now going into someone who's a bit milder, as players, what's going on in their heads now? You know, they, 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 they've had to march to one drum last week and there's a completely different drum this week. I think just because of the, not just the character of Ancelotti, but the, from what he's done, you do gain a lot of respect from that straight away. And he is a very likeable character, you know, players will love him and I think he'll have an instant impact. If you're wanting somebody who's going to bring, or sort of like implement a culture into a football club, I don't he's not that person. But he'll he'll do the best he can with with what he's got. He's very adaptable to everywhere he goes into. One concern is that this is probably the first job, apart from his first one or two jobs. This is the first job where he's went in a club in Everton's position. Everybody else is sort of like, okay, he went to Chelsea, but it, it wasn't a, a great deal to do there to turn things round. They were just a, they were underperforming side. Where here, this is a, a best mid-table side. 
that he's got to try and make it into a successful one to get into the top six. That's got that's got, obviously got to be his aim. And whether he can do that starting at the level that they're at now, then only time will tell. Mm. You know, we're going to have to finish on a, a pretty down note. Events, all too familiar events these days at uh, Tottenham's stadium yesterday. You've got European anti-racism protocols being employed for the first time in the Premier League. Tony Rudiger reporting monkey chants. As I say, we're hearing so much of this these days in, in a football context. What can football do? I, I just don't know really now. It's very, very difficult one to, to, to solve. I mean, I do hear that the sort of players and the sort of increasing you know, number of people really saying that the only solution now is to walk off the pitch. I, I feel that... That a good thing? Personally, I, I wouldn't like to see that. I, I think that wouldn't it I, make the point though. Well, it does make a point, but does it? Does will it improve matters? I, I personally would like to see at least the UEFA protocols implemented now, and then if that doesn't work, then I feel strongly that that players will feel incredibly let down by it and will take matters into their own hands, and then that will be the next step. You could argue, couldn't you, that basically are the players already thinking that the UEFA protocols are letting them down? And I think that is the worry for me. And I, t I trace that back to England-Bulgaria in, in, in Sofia, where, where the protocols were enabled and used then. And then I just felt, right, They've done that, and I felt strongly at that time that England and Gareth Southgate and his players had handled that exceptionally well. And then basically, they decided to stay on the pitch. They'd, they'd consulted with the manager, they'd consulted with the officials. They felt adamant that basically, no, we want to see this game out. The best way to, to do it is go and humiliate them on the pitch, which they duly did. But I felt that it was very important then for UEFA to step in and really do something about it. Clamp down on Bulgaria, send a really strong message. What do they do? It's a two-match stadium ban, one of which was suspended, and then, you know, a fine. Does that make enough of a difference? I don't think so. So that's point one failed. So now it's implemented in the Premier League. And now, again, will it make a difference? Will it make a, will it make a stand? And, and that's what worries me. And... It was. It's deplorable. It's disgusting, and I think that the, the, the authorities make must make a difference. I think in London football, particularly, and this would have been pertinent in this game, for far too long, we, we've accepted. I think anti-Semitism amongst rival clubs, terrible chance, appalling chance, and we let it go by, and now we are seeing an incredible rise of racism, which which is sickening. Are we doing it enough? Are we doing enough to solve it? I would argue not at the moment. This feels like it's an acid test for those protocols. We're about to find whether they were, whether yesterday makes enough of an impression to stop these idiots to, to, to doing it again. Let's see. I'm not convinced, Mike, that the, the, the protocols are enough. So we might, might reach a point where indeed the only solution is to walk off. Or for the FA and the Premier League to work in concert and penalise clubs heavily, mm. you know, take points away if need be. What do you think? I mean, th that is a great point, I think, because it's... They, they keep saying that they'll do everything they can to, to eradicate it, but what whatever's been done in the past hasn't been anywhere near enough. And 
it is a football problem. It's a societal problem. It's been, over the past month, it's been a political problem as well. And I think that we paint ourselves as a tolerant society, but in my eyes, we've become, that's meant we've become too tolerant. And I think that that kind of attitude has, has meant that we haven't clamped down on this kind of rhetoric and the, the type of uh, racist insults that have been used. Because I don't think it's ever been, it certainly hasn't, hasn't been eradicated fully. We've never got to that point, but we get to a point now where people are confident enough to think that it's acceptable for them to say that and they, they can say that. And now, as much as it is up to the authorities, it's, it's to do with the people around those who are shouting these insults. And then you know, that would be a great start as well. The singled out in that crowd and made sure that uh, the, the other people, the majority's feelings are felt. Because I think we, we can keep saying it's a tiny minority, but I mean, it's, it, it, if it's a minority of people seeing it, but then what about the people who aren't seeing it? There must be a lot of people who are in that position as well. Whatever has been done in the past, it's not enough and they have to do a lot more. Well, a depressing build up to Christmas. Words are not enough. It's time for action. And that means strong sanctions against clubs. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.